What's up, Maple Grove? Are y'all good? All right. Hey, it's raining. You got nowhere to go, right? So, you know, kickoff's not till one o'clock, right? So we're, we're good for a couple hours here. Uh, hey, hey, welcome to Maple Grove. And hey, welcome to week one in, in our brand new series, Words Have Power. And I want you to give at least two people a high five and look them in the eyes and say, your words have power. Go ahead and do that. I got to tell you, this is going to be a, this is going to be a really good series. Like words, your words and mine, the, the words that we speak, text, tweet, post, email, write in the note, really are a big deal. They, they really matter. Check out what God breathed through King Solomon in Proverbs chapter 18. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Now, that's how the NIV words it, and Friday morning when I looked at this verse on blueletterbible.org, all right, now throw that up on the screen. Remember I said in our Understanding the Bible study, this is a great website you can go to where we got that image. Okay, I'm looking up here, okay. It's what you're looking, and you know in life, it's what you're looking at that determines what you see, right? All right, Cool. And you can go there and you can put in any verse and it'll put in, you know, here's the English words, um, here's, the, here's the Hebrew words, and you can look on that, click on that, they'll tell you what it means, and the guy will even pronounce it for you. I usually listen to it about 20 times and I know I'm still not going to be able to pronounce it right. Um, but you can see here that in the original Hebrew, the emphasis is on death and life. They come first, right? And actually death comes first, right? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let's say that together on three. One, two, three. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, before we dive into today's conversations, I, I got to do some follow-up from last week um, to see how you did after our message, Your Work Matters, right? And then we'll pray into our study. Question. Did you remember that when you went to work or school this week that your ultimate boss, you're ultimately working for the Lord? And did you remember that uh, the power for living extreme at work is being connected like Daniel was to God? Did you make that connection with God this week? And, and, and did you remember that you are a missionary? You are a missionary where you work and where you go to school? And that God has put you there just like he put Daniel in Babylon and Persia to display his glory by the way that you live and the way that you work. Did you remember to do your best? Be positive. That to have a heart of a servant. To show respect. And do you remember to pray every day before you went to school or went to work, Lord, show me one person that I can show your love to today and then intentionally see if you can find that person. And did you say your memory verse when you walked into work or school? Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. I don't know what grade you give yourself, but this week is another week, right? To live extreme in your work and to put God's glory on display. And now let's pray into our study. And you know, I, I just do need to mention 
You know, last week, several families within our body, you know, it was a rough week for them. You know, um, Mary Valores, you know, sweet Mary, you know, what to be with the Lord. Uh, Cal and Kelly Haney, you know, chose life and chose to give birth to a child they knew may not even survive birth. And, and Lorelai Faith lived for one hour and one minute, and God graciously allowed them to hold that baby. And, you know, and, and then on Thursday, a, you know, a great dad, a great husband, a great father, a great soldier, all around nice guy, uh, 37 years old, was here last Sunday and, and w- was in TDY up in Maryland, and he passed away, um, Jay Rosenthal. And uh, I just want to ask you guys to remember these families. And, you know, we're having a service for Mary tonight at 5 and celebration service for uh, uh, Kelly and Kyle for their baby Lorelai faith. And, and, uh, but let's remember them and pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And God, we thank you, Lord, that uh, even in hard and difficult times, Lord, it's so great to know that every name I mention, Lord, I, I know where they are. God, I, I know they're with you, and, and God, I, I know that uh, baby Lorelai is not sick and deformed anymore. You know, Mary may have her cane just because she likes it, but she doesn't need it anymore. And God, Jay's with you, and God, I just pray for their families, that you'd be with them, that you would comfort them, that we as a church will look for ways to surround them with your love and, and tangible help. And God, I, I pray for today, Lord, as we begin this new series, a series that has the potential to, to make a difference in our lives that, that would totally blow our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. The question, have you ever dismissed something as insignificant only to find out later it, it was really pretty significant? Like at the time, you didn't know it was a big deal, but you found out later, hey, that really was a big deal after all. And now I was reading about this very thing this week. I don't know if you've heard the name Ignaz Semmelweis. Oh, that rings a bell. It probably doesn't because I probably said it wrong, right? But uh, he was a Hungarian doctor in the mid-19th century. He worked at two maternity clinics. Now, they were next to each other, and one maternity clinic was staffed by midwives, and the other was staffed by doctors. And Dr. Semmelweis worked at both of these clinics, and he began to notice something that was very upsetting and very perplexing. You see, one of the maternity clinics, the one that was run by the doctors, women were dying of a fever that was commonly known as childbed fever at a rate five times higher than the women who were given birth at the clinic run by the midwives. And and he couldn't understand why this was happening. And and this was a time in the medical profession where they were beginning to take data and try to figure things out. And autopsies were becoming more common. So he starts to pay attention. Okay, what's the difference between these two clinics? And he looked at everything he could to see what they were doing differently. And he found that at the doctor's maternity clinic that women would give birth on their backs. And at the midwife clinics, they gave birth on their sides. So he told the doctors, hey, let's try it this way. And, and maybe that's the problem. But that didn't make any difference, as you might guess. It didn't help at all. So he continued to examine the evidence and noticed that at the doctor's clinic, when there, where the death rate was five times higher, he noticed that, that after one of these women died, a priest would walk down the halls and he would ring a bell, indicating that one, these women have died of a fever. 
And so Dr. Simmelweiss thought, well, maybe uh, these women hear that bell and they get terrified and they develop the fever and they die. Maybe that's the problem. And hey, it's 1846, so cut them some slack, right? And so he has the priest stop ringing the bell. And as you might guess, that wasn't a problem either. And so he starts looking for more differences between the two clinics. And here's what he notices, uh, that the doctors, unlike the midwives, the doctors would do autopsies on these women who had died, and they immediately would go and deliver babies without washing their hands or washing their instruments. Now, that seems obvious to us, right? But back then, germs were not even discovered yet, right? Uh, uh, Louis Pasteur wouldn't discover those to years later, um, and then you, they were able to connect the dots, but they didn't know back then. Uh, they didn't understand these things. And so, uh, he didn't understand why this made a difference, but he saw that it did. So he said, hey, guys, let's wash our hands and let's wash our instruments before we deliver babies after we have done an autopsy. And he says, let's use chlorine to clean instruments. And it wasn't because he knew that it would kill things. There was a belief back there called miasma. And until like the late 19th century, they believed that Disease was caused by bad air or smell or odor, and, and, and he thought, well, if we use chlorine, it gets rid of the smell. Maybe that'll help with this. And so he said, let's wash our hands and instruments, and I don't know why it makes a difference, but let's do it and see what happens. And so they start washing their hands and washing their instruments, and everything changes. The death rate drops dramatically. And so it becomes this issue of, of this matter of life and death. And we know today that, you know, um, Medical professionals washing their hands have saved more lives than any other medical breakthrough in the past generation. It's really a big deal. And he just kind of stumbled onto it. It didn't seem like something significant. In fact, it seemed insignificant, but yet it had death and life implications. And I, I want to use that as a metaphor for what we'll be talking about today and for the next several weeks that words, that your words have power. And listen, I know that everyone is true. We know our words are important. But I'm not sure that we realize that our words really are a matter of death and life. In fact, someone here may be feeling that I'm kind of overstating this a little bit. Yet the word of God says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. And understand that that is not hyperbolic language to get our attention. Instead, as we're going to discover during this series, those words are much more literal than we could possibly imagine. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And yet still most of us underestimate the impact that our words have of speaking life or speaking death in the world around us. Now, on average, we speak about 16,000 words per day. On average. And some of you skew that average big time, right? But on average, and we could add to that our texts, our tweets, our posts, our notes, etc. And that's a lot of words. And listen, I think that because of the sheer volume of the words that we speak, that it makes it so much easier to underestimate the significance of each word. Again, 16,000 words a day, that's a lot of words. That's like writing a 66-page book every day. 
But each of those words matter. And the Bible says we're to be careful about where our words go. But again, it's easy. So many words, right? It's kind of like going to the beach and picking up a handful of sand. There's so many grains of sand. It doesn't really matter if a, a few slip through your fingers. And sometimes with the words, so many words, we speak 16,000. It really doesn't matter if a, a, a few slip by our lips each day. But listen, they matter. Even a few words matter. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, because you grew up in, in homes where a few words were spoken and they had the power of death or the power of life. And you still remember those words. Just five or six or ten words that maybe a parent, a, a teacher, a sibling, a friend, a, a coach, a spouse said to you. And it either brought some life, I'm proud of you, I love you, I believe in you, I know that you can do it. You are so much smarter than you think you are, or, or words that brought death. You'll never amount to anything. Can't you do anything right? I can't even stand the sight of you. No one will ever love you. Seriously? Is this really the best that you could do? Death and life from the power of words. Get it? Good. It's true, right? I remember nine years ago hearing some words, ten words that spoke life into me. It's never too late to be used by God. I was, I was approaching 50, I go. But I also remember ten words that brought death when someone said to me, there are several people who wish you would just die. And those words kind of brought death to me. And Jesus warns us about the power of words in Matthew 12. We're going to look at the context more next week, but for now, here's, what Jesus, here's how Jesus puts it. I tell you, in the day of judgment, people will give an account of every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's pretty strong. But understand, Jesus is not saying that we are saved by our words. Like, through our work of words that we somehow earn salvation, Right? You see, to, to understand that verse in that way violates one of the key principles we looked at during our series, Understanding the Bible, right? The principle of consistency. Remember? This is where you ask yourself, hey, is the way I'm understanding this passage, does it contradict clearer passages elsewhere? Bottom line, right? If your interpretation of a verse, especially an obscure one, contradicts clearer teaching elsewhere, then your interpretation is most likely what? Wrong. Obscure, unclear texts are to be interpreted in light of clearer texts on the same subject, right? Throughout the New Testament, it's pretty clear, isn't it, that you and I are messed up? Yeah, I'm a messed up pastor in a room full of messed up people, right? It hasn't changed. It'll be the same next week, next year, and 10 years from now, right? We are messed up. We can never be good enough. You know, we can never do enough good things, stop doing enough bad things to earn our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith, right? So we know that verse is not saying that. So then what is Jesus saying? I think he's saying, one, that your words reveal who you are, that your words reveal your heart. And number two, that your words are powerful and that one day you and him are going to chat about them. <laughs> one day you and him are going to talk about every careless word that you threw out. Get it? Good, death and life from the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. 
And, and listen, we see words doing just that from the very beginning, right? So in Genesis 1, we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Uh, kind of like how I was before Jesus. Formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of my life. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And, and so there was nothing. And then in verse 3, here's what we read. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. I understand. God speaks into nothingness. He speaks into darkness. And he says, let there be light. And there was light. And so at the very beginning of time, God creates the universe. And how, did he, how does he do it? What tool does he use? He uses words. He speaks the universe into existence. God says, and it becomes so. And we see that same pattern throughout the Genesis account. God speaking, and it becomes so. He speaks it. He uses words. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and separated the light from darkness. God called the light day. Hey, did you catch the two things God does with words? With words he creates and with words he calls. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And so God uses words to, to bring about life and light. God uses words to, to build up. God uses words to create. He speaks into darkness and says, light. And the lights come on. And so we see from the very beginning the power of words. That words are the tool that God uses. Now, if we fast forward just a few chapters to Genesis 3, we see that words also have the power of of death. This is where we read about sin entering the world. Now, God created man and woman. He said, this is very good. And then Satan comes on the scene in the form of a serpent. And verse 1 tells us, now, the serpent was the most cunning of all wild animals that the Lord God had made. And what does he do? He speaks to the woman. He speaks. He said, did God really say by the way, that's his number one tactic, right? <laughs> to get you to doubt God. Did God really say that? Did God really say you can't eat from, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said. Again, the enemy uses words. Words to bring death to where there was life. Words to bring darkness to where there was light. And, and, and what I find interesting, I guess, is the word, or kind of scary, about the power of words that we see displayed on Genesis 3. They don't even have to be true to have the power of death in our life. I, I mean, Satan was lying. What he said wasn't true. But, but once Adam and Eve believed those words, those words had power in their life. Listen, when we believe a lie, we give it the same power in our lives as if it were true. And some of you have believed some lies. Lies that people have told you, a mom, a dad, a parent. And sometimes the biggest liar in your life, you know who it is? It's you. It's you. Listen, everything in our lives will be created or destroyed by the words that we speak and the words that we believe. 
See, in a very real way, the words that we believe will determine the future that we experience. So God speaks, and the serpent speaks, and we see from the very beginning the power of life and the power of death in words. God speaks, and he creates, and he builds, and he blesses. The enemy speaks, and he tempts, and he, and he accuses, and he deceives, and he destroys. I understand, the power of words, it's, it's hardwired into our universe. Now let's fast forward all the way to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and where John introduces Jesus to us, but he doesn't introduce Jesus to us the way the other guys do. He doesn't call Jesus, you know, Messiah or Lord. He calls him the Word. And so here's what John says, and you can see clearly, clearly making a connection to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Understand, in Genesis 1, God speaks light into darkness. In John chapter 1, right, Jesus is introduced as the word that comes shining light into the darkness. Now, now the word used for word in John 1 is the word logos, and it means the expression or declaration of a thought. The expression or declaration of a thought. So this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the, he's the word in the, in the flesh, and, and John is underscoring again for us the power of the word. That God's word in Jesus has the power to bring light into the darkness. And throughout his ministry, we see Jesus constantly speaking and using words to speak the kingdom of heaven into the world. In fact, that's the reason why he came. In Mark chapter 1, he says this to his disciples. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach. And if anybody knows that preaching involves words, <laughs> boy, do you guys know, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, preaching about words, a lot of words, and a lot of words, maybe too many words, I don't know. So I can preach there also, that is why I came. Luke 4, we see the very first teaching of Jesus recorded. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the captives free. Anybody captive today? And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus was with God in the beginning as light came into the darkness in the physical world in Genesis. And in John 1, Jesus is the word and he's bringing light into the darkness again, but not, this time not physical darkness, right? but into light into the spiritual darkness of our world. So he speaks good news. He, he speaks freedom, and, and he speaks healing, and he speaks deliverance. Let there be, and so it becomes, because there's power in the words of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And listen, when you start reading through the Gospels, and you read through this lens, you just begin to see this pattern. Jesus constantly using words to speak life and healing and blessing and freedom. 
All kinds of examples, just a couple of them. I can think of one. Uh, Jesus is with his guys in a boat, and he's in the middle of a raging storm. Anybody in a storm right now? And he stands up to calm the storm, and what does Jesus do, right? You know, how does he calm the storm? Does he go, you know, does he wave his hand? Does he do that? No. He speaks. Peace. And it's calm. Such is the power of his words. And brothers and sisters, it has and always has been this way and always will be this way. When he speaks peace, so it becomes. Get it? Good. And, and then in John chapter 11, Jesus shows up to the tomb of Lazarus a few days after he had died. And when he raises Lazarus from the dead, what does he do? I mean, does he go in the tomb and pop him on the head? No. What does he do? He, he shouted in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And with those words, he speaks life into death. And Lazarus comes back from the dead. And again, we see the power of words. And here's the deal. Here's, 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 here's a point I'm trying to make from these examples in Genesis 1 and, and John 1 and the Gospels. And now, I'm not saying that you can speak and create something out of nothing. And I'm not telling you to go into the middle of a hurricane with 175 mile per hour winds and say, peace, right? I do not recommend that you do that, right? I'm not saying walk through a cemetery and say, come out. Come out, right? That's not what I'm saying. That's not the idea. Rather, the idea here is that if words are the tool that God used in creating, and if words are the tool that Jesus used to bring life to where there was death, to bring light to where there was darkness, and since we are made in the image of God, and since God has given us as humans the ability to speak, I mean, he's given each of us a tongue, Reach over and grab your neighbor's tongue. Just kidding. <laughs> Hold your tongue. Right? He's giving us a tongue with that, the ability. He's also giving us the power to speak and the power to speak life and death to those around us using our words. The point I'm trying to make is that your words and mine are much more powerful than most of us have ever imagined. They have the power of death and life. They have the power to build up or tear down. They have the power to oppress or set free. They have the power to create or destroy. Yeah, they may not seem all that significant. Just words. But they really are a matter of life and death. You know, Dr. Semmelweis, he, he tried to get other doctors in the area to wash their hands. In fact, that kind of became his mantra. However, the the challenge was he couldn't explain how it worked. He just knew that it worked. Because germs hadn't yet been discovered, so he couldn't connect the dots. He couldn't scientifically say, hey, this is why it works. He just knew that it did work. And so he just kept saying, you know, he became obsessed. Wash, we need to wash our hands, wash our hands, wash our hands. Right? And who could blame him? I mean, he knows the difference that it makes, right? He sees the suffering, the death, the infection spreading all around him but they won't do it. And eventually drives them crazy and he's committed to a mental institution at the age of 47. And I was reading about why the doctors rejected his message and obviously part of it was that 
that, that there was no scientific evidence to back it up. But there are other reasons. Like number one, for the doctors, hear me, to accept his message, to wash your hands, it was a self-indicting message. And that's hard to get your brain to go there. See, if they accepted that to be true, that means that the suffering and death of all those women, it was, it was their fault. They didn't do it on purpose. Yet still, they were the ones who were spreading the infection. And that's hard to accept the possibility of that. You see, usually our first instinct is to reject anything that would be self-indicting. Hmm? Am I right? Then the other reason they rejected him is because it seems so simple. I mean, I mean, they had a bunch of letters after their name. They've been going to school. They're highly educated, right? And they're like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, I'm too smart for that. I'm too educated. Claiming to be wise, Scripture says they became fools, right? I mean, washing our hands and instruments, surely that couldn't save lives. It's just too simple. And church, as we begin this journey about how our tongue has the power of death and life, I have a hunch that some of you are going to battle those same two thoughts. See, it may be hard for some of you, like the doctors back in the mid-19th century, to accept the self-indicting truth. I'm going to say that again. It may be hard for some of you, like those doctors in the 19th century, to accept the self-indicting truth that you have brought pain, and you are brought hurt, and you are brought sorrow, and you are brought discouragement into the lives of the people around you by the words that you have spoken. He said, it's just much easier not to think about something like that. Again, our natural response, right, is to that kind of idea that our words are somehow had the power of life and death in someone's life is to, is, you know, we want to run away from that. Because to accept it is to indict ourselves, Right? which is something we do not like to do. And I think it's also true that some of you listen to me right now. This just seems too simple. I mean, you're too smart, right? Seriously, Steve, you're telling me that simply changing the way I speak will bring life into my marriage, will bring life into my home, will bring life into my relationships, will bring life into where I work, into where I go to school. <laughs> no, Steve, I'm not buying it. It's way too simple to have that kind of impact. And so Dr. Semmelweis' message to the other doctors was, just try it. Just try it. Put it to the test. Can't explain it. But I know it's true. Just try it and see what happens. And that's what I would like for us to do as a church during the next several weeks and throughout this series. Just try it. Just investigate it. And I'm going to throw out several challenges. And I'm going to ask you, hey, just try it. Just wash your hands. Just wash your hands. I mean, what do you have to lose? The first challenge is to wake up and speak God's word to yourself every morning. Just for a few minutes, wake up and speak God's word and see what happens. I know you think, oh, this is kind of weird. And you're kind of skeptical. Skeptical. It feels a little bit like self-empowerment, right? 
self-reinforcement. That's not what it is. I'm not saying speak your words. I'm saying speak God's word. Speak God's life and light over your life, over your relationships, over your attitudes, over your decisions. Now in Isaiah 55, which we'll look at in depth next week, but it says that God's word is like a seed that gets planted and bears fruit. And, and, and that it always bears fruit, that it never returns void, that it never comes back empty. Understand, when you plant the seed of God's word, it's gonna bear fruit. Whenever you plant the seed of God's word, it's gonna bear fruit. Get it? Good. So we want to start planting some seeds. Listen, for some of you, here's what's going to happen. You're going to plant a seed, and nothing happens five minutes later. Knew this wouldn't work. <laughs> I knew he was just flapping his jaws up there. It ain't making no difference. I'm saying just try it. Try it for a little while. Speak God's word in your life. Plant some seeds and see what happens. And we look a lot at the first part of Proverbs 18:21: Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The second part says this, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We've all heard the expression, you're going to have to eat those words. And that's the idea, that the, that the seeds that you plant will be, become the, the fruit that you eat. If you plant seeds of life, you'll eat the fruit of life. You plant seeds of death, it'll just be like a disease spreading through your body. And so I want to give you some examples of how to do this. How to speak God's word out loud to yourself. I, I'm going to have, I have a handout up here, you know, of what some of these are right here that you can take, right? So you wake up in the morning and you say something like this. Today I will live as a child of God and the evil one cannot touch me because greater is the one who's in me than the one that's in the world. And that's not wishful thinking. It's true. It's what God has said. And God's word is supernatural. And it trumps whatever the serpent says. It trumps whatever you've been telling yourself. And you say, this is what's really true. I am a child of God, and the evil one cannot touch me today because greater is the one that's in me that's in the world. And the enemy will try to get you to start your day telling you that your sin has condemned you, that there's no coming back, that you're a prisoner in your past. And so some of you need to start your day and speak this truth over your life. I am not condemned by my sin today. I've been set free by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not condemned. I'm not a prisoner. I'm not going to live like it today. The truth of God's word is I've been set free, so I will live like a free man today. And he'll try to wake you up and speak words of hurt. And he wants you to have a hard heart. He wants you to have bitterness towards other people. And so he will remind you of that pain that was caused to you, hoping that you'll bring that pain from the past into this new day. And so for some of you, you need to tell yourself, I have to say this to myself sometimes, I have plenty of grace to give today because I've received God's grace. Yes, because I've received God's grace, I've got grace to give. You need some grace, i got some grace to give you. In fact, I have so much grace. 
You have no idea. You wouldn't believe how much grace God has to give me every day. You need some grace? I got some. You need some mercy? I got some. You need forgiveness? I got some. Because God has given me so much of it. The enemy might try to tell you that you don't have a purpose. That you're wasting your life at your job or your school or at home with the kids. That you don't have anything special to offer. And so you tell yourself at the beginning of the day, I'm going to make a difference today. Because I know that today God has already prepared in advance for me the work that he has for me. Today I'm claiming the promise of Ephesians 2.10 that I am God's workmanship and he has created me in Christ Jesus to do the good works which he prepared in advance for me to do. And then he will constantly put in Words in front of you that will cause you to feel stressed and worried about what's happening in the world or what might happen. He wants you to live in fear. But we need to speak God's truth and say, today I'm not anxious, I'm not worried, I'm not weighed down. This is who I am. I cast my burdens on my God because he cares about me. Today I will not be anxious or worry about anything, but today I will pray about everything. You need to speak these words to yourself from Timothy. Today I'm not afraid. I'm not weak. I, I don't have a spirit of fear and timidity. I have a spirit of love and power and of self-control. And you speak that to yourself. You preach to yourself. First Thessalonians 15, I mean 5, 16, and 18. We need to speak this truth over our lives. Today, I'm not going to be defeated or discouraged because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Therefore, I will rejoice regardless of the circumstances. And so you start to speak this truth over your life. See, let me tell you, you're already preaching to yourself. (laughs) You already are, right? I know I do it, but I got to tell you, when you start preaching God's word to yourself out loud, man, you know what? You know, I am more than a conqueror. I'm not defeated. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. The day I'm placing my hope and trust in God who will renew my strength, he will enable me, God, you will enable me to soar on wings like eagles. You will help me to run and not be weary, to walk and not be faint. You just start preaching to yourself or rather change the way you preach to yourself. And some of you are thinking, this is so goofy, Steve. I knew you were goofy before. If I wanted to go to a Tony Robbins conference, I'd have gone there. Right? That's not this, what this is. This is speaking God's truth over your life. It's different. And it is biblical. Check this out. Joshua 1.8. Do not, he's, about to, he's about to conquer the promised land, or hoping to. <laughs> Do not let, he's kind of scared. Actually, he's really scared. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, meditate on day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Now, we read that, we almost subconsciously think, oh, he's saying, don't let God's word depart from your heart or from your mind or from your thoughts. That's not what he says. He specifically told Joshua to keep his word in his what? In his mouth. 
See, before Joshua would take the promised land, he had to make the ways of God and the words of God part of his natural vocabulary in speaking to others and in speaking to himself. In other words, God is telling Joshua, start preaching out loud to yourself my truth. Because there's power in speaking God's word. And that's my challenge for you guys. Wash your hands. Oh, this is goofy, so silly. Second challenge, and this is really going to be fun. Do a word inventory before going to bed. I don't really like this one. Great way to end your day, right? Take a few minutes to think about the words that you say and the words that come your way. Who did I encourage today? Who did I build up today? How did I use my words to speak life into somebody? How did I use my words to speak death into somebody today? How did someone else speak life into me today? How did someone else speak death into me today? And listen, when someone speaks death into you, find some words from God to preach to yourself. And you just go through your conversations at work, at school, at home, right? That's where we usually let it fly, right? Right? Because they love you. They got to put up with you, right? It's a lot harder to get rid of you, you know? And you just let it fly. And every single word that I say, right? Every single word that you say has significance. You do an inventory. And that will help you in the next few weeks as we are challenged from God's word in this area of our lives. Now, here's something. And that, now, obviously, um, Dr. Summerwise, he never got to know his great achievement. But there's some hospitals named after him. There's a university named after him. I mean, people know about him today. And, and the most interesting thing to me is, is this term that is sometimes taught to doctors in, in medical schools or in the science field in general. It's called the Semmelweis reflex. And here is its definition. The knee-jerk reflex to reject new evidence without investigation and experimentation because it goes against what has been accepted or practiced. Just this reflex within us that because this isn't practiced, because this isn't how we've always done it, it's not how we always believed, I'm not even going to give it space in my life. I'm not even going to try it. I'm not even going to attempt it. But listen, if there's evidence, if there's evidence, you got to try it. If there's evidence, you got to at least investigate it. You got you to you at least see if there's something to it. And my fear is that some of you right now are having a similarized reflex, Right? You don't think it's going to make all that much difference. I mean, you've heard about the tongue and words in church before, right? And maybe you grew up in a home where words were just thrown around, it just carelessly thrown here, there, and, and that's just the way you speak today. The way I grew up. I'm just telling you, what if you just tried? What if you just experimented with this during this series? 
What if you just investigated this to see if it would make any difference in your life? Uh, to see if, if maybe some seeds would, would bear some fruit that would bring life, bring life to your marriage, bring new life to your home, new life to your relationships, new life to our church. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And, and, and so that's the challenge for us as a church family. You know, that, 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 that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I just want to challenge you this week, right? It, it, it may sound goofy, right? Yeah, this is some ideas. You can find your own truths to speak over yourself, but you wake up and you speak these truths of God out loud to yourself in the morning, right? And change the channel. You're already preaching to yourself, right? And, and, and to every day, you know, and this is going to be painful for some of us, right? <laughs> every day, reflect on, hey, how do I use my words? You know what it's probably going to do? Make us think about things before we <laughs> say something. Yeah, you know what? When I do my inventory tonight, I want to be able to say, you know what, I encourage someone today. You know, I want to be saying, oh man, I wish I didn't say that. Well, I think I hurt that person, right? It's going to change the way we do things. Death and life and the power of tongue. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity, God, to be in this place. We thank you for your word that gives us life, that brings light into our darkness. And God, I pray for us as a body. I pray for those especially in this room, God, that, that have believed so many lies of the enemy, Lord, that just have beat them down. I pray that your truth would just reign over them, God, and bear truth. God, I pray that we will fight the symbolized reflex and just try it and see what happens. In Jesus' name, amen.